0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market. And of course, also by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Another month, another Patch Tuesday, and this was a big one. In fact, the largest in the history of Patch Tuesdays when it comes to Windows updates. For June, there were 129 vulnerabilities that have been patched. ZDNet reports that despite the bulkiness of this month's patches, none of the zero-day vulnerabilities have yet been exploited in the wild, so that's good news. Among the most critical include cve 2020 1181, which is a remote code execution in SharePoint. There's also 1225 and 1226, which are remote code execution in Excel. There's also 1223, which is a remote execution in Word for Android. There's 1248, which is remote code execution in Windows Graphics Device Interface, GDI. There's also 1281, remote code execution in Windows OLE, 1299 remote code execution and processing windows.lnk files, which is interesting because I think that's twice in two months for lnk files. There's remote code execution in 1300, which is in Windows OS print spooler component. There's 1301, which is again remote code execution in the SMB protocol, as well as several CVEs, which are remote code executions in the Windows VBScript engine. There has unfortunately been reports from some on forums suggesting that after they install the monthly patches, their printer stopped working, and Microsoft has now confirmed an issue with some USB-connected printers. Essentially, after rebooting, the printer does not connect back properly as though the port is unavailable. Microsoft lists two main causes for the issue that causes the USB printer port to become unavailable for carrying out its printer tasks. Quote, if the driver for the USB printer contains a language monitor, the open port EX callback function of the language monitor would not be called. And as a result, the user cannot fulfill operations dependent on the operation of the language monitor. End quote. BleepingComputer.com have also reported that since the release of Windows 10 1903 and 1909 KB 453-5996 and Windows 10's 2004's KB 4557957, 7957 some have been reporting that they receive errors that programs are missing when they attempt to launch them. It's said some users reporting the issue have had a vast antivirus installed on their machines, but it has also been suggested that some others who have claimed the issue do not have Avast installed and still ran into the errors. If you are encountering the problem, you can change a .exe values in the IFEO registry values on your machine, and BleepingComputer.com have provided a really handy batch file that can reset these values on bulk to correct the values. So check that out if you're having that issue. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 128 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. Adobe have also published patches for four critical vulnerabilities. Three of the vulnerabilities are in Adobe FrameMaker. The FrameMaker product's vulnerabilities are tied to a lack of proper validation of user data inputted, which could also allow for malicious code to be inputted. There are also multiple memory-related bugs, as covered on the podcast is actually the most common form of vulnerability, which was news to me a couple weeks ago, but now that it's popping up in these CVEs, I guess it makes a lot of sense. Probably a more concern in the enterprise at least. Flash Player also has a critical vulnerability, CVE-2020-9633. A successful exploitation could lead to arbitrary code execution in the context of the current user. So it's your classic remote code execution. There are also several other high-level but not critical vulnerabilities that should be considered for patching, too. So, no matter what, just patch, patch, patch. Make sure you're on the latest versions and the misery keeps rolling on vulnerabilities have been identified in citrix workspace app and receiver for windows that could result in a local user escalating their privilege level to administrator during the uninstallation process the issues are labeled with cve-2020-13884 and 13885 this does not affect mac os or linux users A new version of Citrix Workspace app for Windows has been released, and Citrix strongly recommends that customers upgrade Workspace app to version 19.12 or later via auto-update or by directly running the installer. Customers using Citrix Receiver are strongly recommended to upgrade to the Citrix Workspace app, which in my experience can be pretty challenging because there have been somewhat significant changes in how it handles certain things. So. Even though this is a pretty important one to patch at this time of the recording, there are no known attacks in the wild and really you'll want to test out the latest version of the Citrix workspace app in your environment and get a good sample of machines too. Don't just rely on like maybe 10 machines because you want to make sure for certain that there's not going to be any pop-ups or anything like that that could disrupt your users. VDI hacker himself, Patrick Koble, also states that this is one that you'll definitely want to patch. So I trust his advice and just by the sounds of it, it's one that I wouldn't ignore either. And for you VMware Horizon customers, a new version of the VMware Horizon client has been released, version 5.4.3, which fixes a privilege escalation vulnerability. It's listed as CVE-2020-3961, but at the time of this recording, the CVE is just a reservation and no further details are available. The last time I saw one of these that was announced and the new version or the new release was put out here, an exploit was only maybe two or three weeks away after that fact. So if you're using the VMware Horizon client, you'll want to get onto the latest version And if you're unfortunately supporting a really old version like 5.5 and the new version of the client doesn't work, uh, you may want to get upgrading your Horizon environment. Well, with that in the way, in some good news, ZDNet reports that the latest macOS updates contain a battery health management feature that may give your Mac's battery a longer life. The battery health management feature collects data about your usage and can use this to reduce your battery's maximum charge, which is a key factor in chemical aging, and instead choose a level that's optimized for your usage specifically. So if you are someone who keeps your MacBook plugged in a lot of the time, you might notice that with this new feature enabled, the battery doesn't charge all the way to 100%. And that makes sense because if you keep it plugged in a lot and you're keeping it charged 100% and it's just clocking over and over and you're never really depleting the battery you're gonna kill the life expectancy of that battery by keeping it plugged in like that so they're taking some more proactive measures to ensure the life of that battery as long as possible and if you want your battery to charge to the brim every time then you'll need to disable this feature and that is possible. And I'll share a link to that story which goes through how you can disable it too. Bloomberg this week reported on rumors that on June 22nd at WWDC, Apple may unveil their move to ARM processors. I've covered this rumor multiple times over the last two years. It would see Apple moving away from using a third-party processor and moving to a new ARM processor that's their own proprietary processor of sorts. The new processors will be based on the same technology used in the current Apple-designed iPhone and iPad chips. This will be the first time in the 36-year history of the Mac that Apple-designed processors will power these machines. It has changed chips only two other times in history. And while the rumors have been going around for years, there's now this rumor of an actual date for an announcement, but the article also suggests that the announcement could be pushed back as the Macs with the ARM chips could still be months away from shipping. Apple tends to keep these things close to their chest until the machine's ready to be shipped and sold, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Silicon Republic have reported that Honda got hit with a cyber attack on Monday. They quickly told employees not to access their laptops and even shut down their automotive manufacturing plants. It said that most returned to work on Tuesday, but other locations, including plants in Brazil, India, Turkey, and the U.S., took longer to reopen. In a statement, the company said it was not aware of any customer or employee information being leaked as a result of the breach. Honda also said that it does not believe the breach originated from a member of staff who was working from home. Early reports based on data obtained by security researchers had suggested Honda may have been the victim of a snake ransomware attack. And backing up those claims, it was reported that a discovery of files on a malware analysis tool called VirusTotal, with one researcher saying a sample of the ransomware available on the site references Honda's internal subdomain. So, hopefully, they did not get too much sensitive data. Honda said that they didn't have any awareness of any customer or employee information being linked, but it seems like there's something out there. So, I guess we'll have to wait and see how this develops. Applications are now open for the VMware vExpert program again. If you or anyone else you know would be a good candidate, apply to join a really awesome group. This week saw the first ever e2eVC digital conference. I got to catch some of the sessions on Friday myself and they were excellent. The organizers somehow managed to recreate that casual cool feel that makes e2e special. It sucks that we all weren't able to meet up in person and hang out, have a few drinks and just, and just talk geeky but maybe it's all for the best because Alex has now got some experience running a conference remotely so if there's ever something like that that comes up again where we can't meet up in future in person, there's this really great alternative. And speaking of 2 there was an announcement on day one. The excellent VDI Like a Pro State of EUC 2020 survey results were shared and are now available at vdilikeapro.com. Close to 700 people completed the survey and the content is always very valuable, so check that out. The next Irish and Scottish Nutanix user group will take place on June 23rd at 1.30pm with guest speaker Ruben Sprout getting into Nutanix's WeFrame. If you haven't seen WeFrame, this is the perfect opportunity, so register today. John Witzel from Microsoft shared a video covering using Azure Trust Service for code signing of MSIX packages. The signing of packages is the biggest learning curve in my opinion for people who are diving into MSIX for the first time, at least for IT pros. So hopefully this could make it easier in the long run if you check this out. A service that makes it simpler would definitely be appreciated. Citrix have published a proof of concept step-by-step guide to show you how you can quickly and relatively easily get working with Citrix Cloud and Remote PC for accessing your physical desktop from anywhere securely through Citrix Cloud. I've talked quite a bit about it since the work from home surge related to COVID-19 and now this is a really easy way for you to try it yourself by just signing up for a trial this week azure files became generally available for on-premises active directory domain services authentication so it's great for multiple use use cases for those uh, azure customers But in particular, I would highlight the fact that on-premises ADDS integration will simplify the setup experience of using Azure Files as user profile storage for Windows virtual desktop users. Leveraging Azure Files for VDI environments eliminates the need for self-hosting file servers. So you're flattening that infrastructure for your file servers for your profiles and not needing to run more expensive full-on file servers in Azure. So that's pretty cool. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Jeremy Moskowitz shared a blog post on a vulnerability with group policy preferences, CSE user-based items that highlights why you should ensure you always keep your templates up to date. This one actually got by me. I didn't realize that there was a vulnerability, and that's a bit scary. It's just like you have to cover every single base of your environment, including your group policy, so... I found that pretty interesting, and also, while I was looking at that, I noticed that Jeremy was also recently interviewed by idgconnect.com for a CTO session interview. For a little background on how Jeremy got started and what he's up to with Policypack software, you can check out this interview for yourself, and I'll provide a link with this episode, which again is episode 128, on FiveBytesPodcast.com, and you'll find it under reference links right near the top. Andreas Nick shared an AppV recipe for sequencing SQL Management Studio version 18.5. If you've tried sequencing any of the SQL Management Studio versions from 2012 and up, you'll know they are a pain in the neck to do. I stopped bothering completely with them in AppV for the last couple of releases and moved to using Numescent Cloud Paging instead. But if you don't have Cloud Paging like I do... This would be a really great alternative since pretty much every enterprise customer that Microsoft has does have V. Peter Rising recently shared a blog post on how to create a bot for your Microsoft Teams chat. Teams has blown up in popularity since COVID-19 and this could give you a nice front end for some internal support challenges you deal with day to day. I've also covered this next one on a previous episode of the podcast in the news, but did you know that you can leverage a really handy connection indicator for your RDS or Windows Virtual Desktop users? This could be a really handy tool to ensure your users know the root of their performance issues when they're seeing some lag. I know that Citrix have their own flavor of this type of product for quality of service indication. And if you're using WVD, this could be a really handy way for you to get that same capability. And a quick one, but Ironman Software shared their top 50 PowerShell modules. It includes things like a Selenium module for unit testing, a Toast notification module, and much more. So check that out. There are probably going to be a lot of stuff in there that you didn't even realize was available. And the accidental Citrix admin and apparently masochist Carl Webster has shared a multi-part blog post series on learning the basics of VMware Horizon. It's everything you need from start to finish on the product and this is something that I actually attempted to document and blog in the past myself. When I did it I was doing it from the point of setting up ESXi and vCenter and just setting up the whole vSphere stack and then bolting on VMware Horizon on top of it. I had so many screenshots that I just gave up and didn't bother publishing it. So Carl is really doing a great service by sharing this as it's really, really time-consuming to go through it and post it all. So you don't want to miss this, especially if maybe you've had experience in the past with VMware Horizon, but now maybe you work at a Citrix shop, so you're missing that exposure to the latest version. You can maybe see what's the same in these newer versions versus... What you worked on before, or even if you have no familiarity at all, you might want to check out this blog series. And the great Rachel Berry shared an article on selecting a video calling solution with privacy in mind. And that's been a really hot topic, highlighted by question marks over Zoom's data routing through China recently. And I keep seeing, even on my own, like Facebook, which most of my friends on Facebook are not in the IT profession. But they're all relying on products like Zoom or maybe a little more obscure products like Hi5, for example. And you just don't know what you're getting with each of them. Like I doubt most people realize that Ring Central is basically a a skinned version of Zoom, for example. And Rachel covers a lot of information around that in her blog post. And finally, this week I saw a really long thread on Twitter highlighting some of the black tech IT YouTubers. So it's really great that there's a solid and pretty long list of YouTubers, most of whom I wasn't actually aware of until seeing this thread. In my experience, black people are very underrepresented in our industry. So this is a cool way to get them and their voices some more exposure. So, you know, check out... The link to this twitter thread on this episode again which is episode 128 i'll share it out and subscribe to their channels on youtube search them out on their social media and get some other voices and opinions on your timeline and that's it for another episode thank you all so much for listening